If that's the way we're going to look at the world, then it's going to be a very lonely place, man. So we need to learn how to have civil discourse, have good conversations, go, man, I'd love to hear what you believe and why you believe it and what that looks like. And I'll tell you what, if you've got better evidence than I do on this, shoot, I need to be brave enough to change my mind. Welcome to Education Rx. The education system in the U.S. is sick and we all need to find ways to heal it. I'm Holly Bronson. I'm Shannon Donaway. Together, we have almost 50 years of experience working as professionals in a school setting. We may not have all the answers, but we're looking for people who have a piece of the solution puzzle. This is Education Rx. So today we are talking to Matt Beaudreau and we're going to let him introduce himself. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us what you're passionate about, kind of maybe why we're talking to you today. Yeah, for sure. Again, thank you for uh, for having me and giving him a voice. And I don't ever take that uh, opportunity for granted. So I appreciate it. I tell people I'm a career educator and people automatically think schools. And then the next words out of my mouth are usually, well, I think education and school is you know, completely different. And I think those ideas are often at war with each other. So I'm a career educator in terms of, I like to ask questions. I push buttons. I'm curious enough to ask why and, and maybe dumb enough to go search for the answers and maybe even dumber in the fact that if I find answers that make more sense to me, then I, you know, then I push forward on that and, and um, try to just have great conversations with great humans around what education is and should be for, uh, not just for young people, but for all people in general. Like, what is education for? I like to have that conversation. So, and I came to all that through, you know, we can go as far back as you want to go, but turn down a job at the White House, coming out of college, being this forever straight A student, knowing the game of school really well, but figuring out, well, shoot, I don't know anything about myself. I know how to play school. And those aren't the same games. And that's interesting to me, right? And so then- yes. A few odd jobs. I ended up at Stanford for a while and started to see the game from the inside. So I was at Stanford for a bit, was a public school teacher afterwards, public school administrator, private school teacher, private school administrator, which is why I left all of those things to then create my own schools that my own mm-hmm. children could go to. Um, and have since created a number of those. Um, and I'm partnering with a friend of mine named Tim Kennedy to launch another 100 plus here in uh, 2024. So that's a wow. whole big giant mouthful in about a minute. So that's awesome. I, well, so I follow you on Instagram and I've listened to you on several podcasts. That's sort of how I found you and was really intrigued by and appreciated the way that you were putting things into words. And this morning I saw on Instagram, you were talking about parenting and leading as a parent. Mm. And I love the, the way that you put this into words because you were saying it's easier, but less effective to do some of these things. Like it's easier to punish versus using persuasion and helping kids understand it's easier to yell than to lead. And I think parenting and education is in a huge conflict right now. I think it's a big problem because we're not working together. And originally public education was a phenomenal concept. And I think everyone, no matter where you live, your socioeconomic status should have access to learning because we know that as people become more educated, so many things go down that are bad, right? Like domestic violence, the pathway to going to jail, all of those kinds of things go down when you have education. It's really a a way to get freedom for people. And yet our education system in the United States is really in a state of crisis because so many things are going wrong. And that was part of why I sought you out because I really liked your take on education and some of the things you were talking about with your program that you have with your schools and and they're called the Acton schools. Am I saying that right? So I've, yes, ma'am. So I launched, I love what you're saying there and like access and there's so many rabbit holes we can go down even with just what you said right there, (laughs) access to learning, right? So what does that even mean? What does learning mean? Because a lot of times we equate learning with academics. I'm quick to make sure everybody remembers I got straight A's. I got great SAT scores. I got all those things. And I went back and took a standardized test a couple of years ago, and I got a quote unquote sixth grade math level, right? Because I don't use that. Now I can make millions of dollars a year in my organizations. I can stand on stage and have companies pay me 40, 50 grand. I understand how to operate in a 1041 tax system and not pay taxes when everybody else operates in a 1040 and I can do it legally and go help you. So I think I have a good grip on numbers, 
but I don't have a good grip on how to pass trig right now, right? Like, so we've got to define what learning means. We also have to define what access means because if we have a library card and an internet access, you have access to all information of all time. We don't have an information deficiency, right? That's not the problem. So then we have to start taking a look and going, well, then what is the actual issue, right? And it's multifaceted. There is no one issue. So, but I, what you said in there too, is education should lead to, and this is what I posit as well. Education should lead to freedom and sovereignty. And you've got to define what that means too. And you've got to define what that means for you and, and how does that actually look and play out? So what are the things you need? Like, it's such a fascinating concept, right? And so all of this is, is what we're talking about here. All of that is, is, uh, is the bigger discussion. I went down so far on that rabbit hole. What was the kind of the tail end of the question that you asked me? I don't even know because you're saying things that I'm like, now I want to comment on because you were talking about, (laughs) as you were talking just now and saying some things about freedom and sovereignty, I was having a conversation with Devin Siebold and he was talking about how in education, one of the big problems is we used to have a good society. And so kids came in to get educated with academics and information back before we had access to it. But now our mm. society's broken down. So we have all this access to information, but we don't have a high quality society where people are allowing each other to have differences of opinion, have freedom to do things that they feel passionate about or have strong beliefs in. And so kids are coming into school and when teachers are you know, trying to give instruction, a lot of kids are arguing with them or showing disrespect to one another and teachers aren't sure how to manage that because if you manage it wrong, then there's a lawsuit. Yeah. I mean, there's just... So many, it totally is. And there's so many, that's what you're pointing to all the different issues that we're facing. So we have the societal breakdown, that culture of just really lack of civility, a culture of disrespect, right? A culture where civil discourse is no longer something that's put on a pedestal, victim mentality is put on a pedestal. How much can you be oppressed today? And you win if you get oppressed more than somebody else. Like that's a problem, right? We have that, that's an issue. And there's, again, that's multifaceted too. We don't have dads in the homes. We don't have like, there's so many things that are pouring into this. And then you have a system itself of schooling that did make sense at one point and does not make sense anymore. And again, yes. that hasn't changed either, but we've got this religious adherence to that system where it's like, ooh, even if it's not anywhere near the same game as what we play when we're outside of that, when you graduate, doesn't matter because that's the building blocks you need. I've started tell, I've started asking people like, if you, so if you wanted your kid to be a really, really good basketball player, would you spend 13, 16, 18 years just focusing on baseball because both of them have a ball and it's the same, you know, they both are games. Well, no, you focus on playing basketball, right? Well, life and school are very different games that require very different skill sets. So what are we doing? Like we're still perpetuating this and there's a religious adherence to it. There's also a political, you know, there's political um, ties to this. There's financial ties to this. There's all these things right here that make this over complex organization stay the way it stays, but it's a disservice to our kids. So we have all of these things that we are working against. So I'm thankful because I think the two of you, you guys said on this show, you have all the answers to fix all of it. And you're going to tell us what those were. So that's great. (laughs) No, that is not what we said. Did you not say, I misunderstood. Sorry. No, we said we do not have all the answers, but we're looking for people who do. Okay, just, well, I don't need that. I, I have some. There. Yeah, that's that's it. That's options, it. right? People don't realize there's options. Mm-hmm. So like, let's talk options, you know? So, yeah, I'm with you guys. Have you heard of the book by L. David Marquette, Turn the Ship Around? And he is talking about in the military where he got put in place as commanding a submarine that was like the lowest performing. And he went in because he had the ability to do this and said, you have to give me freedom to do whatever I think is going to work. It may buck the system. And they said, okay, do whatever you have to do. And he went in and completely changed the format of how they were managing that that submarine. And I think what's interesting about that is I really see a lot of similarities between military and education in this country. There's so many things that are so tightly controlled by government. 
And he did things that government wouldn't have done that was not in their plan and yet had this phenomenal outcome that submarine became like super high performing that all the people that were in top leadership went on to manage their own submarines and implement that same system. And I think you're talking about bucking the system and we have got to get serious and get more people involved, even if you don't have kids in the system and you're not an educator, it affects us all. Yeah. Education affects us all. Raising kids affects us all because it's our future. We have to get serious about bucking the system and figuring out how to make systemic changes mm. so that there are options for education that are good. <laughs> so I wrote down a bunch of things as you were talking there too. Part of it, I remembered what we were talking about before because you talked about, our, you know, was it part of the Acton Academies? So I did launch a number of Acton Academies. I still work with owners and operators of Acton Academies the current schools that I'm launching are underneath our Apogee umbrella, which is a different organization, but a very okay. similar methodology, right? So I'm no longer affiliated officially with Acton at all, but I'm a huge fan, huge proponent, dear friends with so many of those people, very much so, right? So, but the the schools we're launching are underneath the Apogee umbrella, but same sort of concepts, okay. right? But to go to about what you're saying right there, it's funny that you brought that book up because it, for me on a personal level, it actually highlights a lot of what we're talking about here. I, I, enjoy, I love that book, but I don't love it as much as I should have. And the reason I say that is because I was asked to read it during a graduate school program and oh. I was asked to tackle it in a very graduate school fashion versus just reading it and letting it be pulled out and like be like, ooh, okay, this speaks to me, this speaks to me here, this is how I'm going to change my life. I had to go school about it and go talk about, you know, specific things and cite specific things. So it killed my love for the book to where like at the level that it should have been, right? Which is, hey, by the way, part of what we do with school a lot of times, we kill the yes. love of reading for people very early by forcing it too early. People don't like to hear that the literacy rate in this country was just as high, if not higher, before compulsory schooling was a thing. Nobody likes to hear that because everybody thinks wow. you need to you just have specific, like you got to teach the kids to learn and you beat it into them. You know, you got to teach them to read. You beat it into them early. I'm like, I didn't teach I didn't teach any of my children to read. Um, and my 12-year-old just finished her third novel that's over 300 pages long that she wrote and like she's a voracious reader my 10 year old i think her book's only at like 200 and some odd pages right now you know even my young man who traditionally young crazy young you know adhd boys right or whatever the bs labels he loves reading too because we've made it fun but so there's that part of what you just said you're talking about systems and you're absolutely right what we do is we make a system extraordinarily complex and when you make a system extraordinarily complex, the only thing you can get out of the human in that system is something that's very, very simple. What we need to do is flip things around. You make the system simple and you allow the complexity of the human brain and the mind and the interactions to then take root and we can develop some things, right? So we've over everything we've done over these last even 50, 60 years in conveyor belt schooling and compulsory schooling, we've just made things more and more complex, more and more programs to do to the kids. And like, how do we weave this program in? And how do we weave this methodology in? And how do we weave in this, spe this specific training? And how do we then weave in this specific goal and this specific agenda and this specific, the more we've done that, the more we've simplified the brains of the young people that have come out of there. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, it's, we're going at it completely backwards, right? Yes. And so one of the things, the last thing that you mentioned that I heard you say was changing the system. I don't believe we will. I don't believe as a society, we will ever change the system. So for us, what's important is building what we've been talking about, alternatives, right? Build an alternative that, that the stories then can't be denied, that forces people to realize there are options potentially better options. And then we let conveyor belt schools decide if they're going to get on board with the new public narrative or not. I think that's the only way we fight it. And that's a long tail game, but I do think it's something that we can do faster than most people think. So that's, there's a mouthful again. Well, and I think we're looking at a place where in this country, education is big business for people who are creating standardized testing programs, people who are creating curriculum. And those people are going to fight against making change because they're making so much money off of it. I mean, and it's not Pearson really doing a good service. 
Pearson made more money last year than any NFL team. Why would they change that? Right? Wow. Yes. We spend a couple billion dollars on standardized testing every year. Nobody's We're one of the only that. nations that does annual standardized testing. I get to make. You're not in the make, top 10 worldwide. I get to make textbooks every year that everybody buys. And I get to make the tests that go along with that every single year and make them billions of dollars. Why would we change that? Right. Why would we, why would we go, I'm making textbooks. Of course, all information is freely available in this textbook on the internet for free. Yep. It's all there. And then I get to make a standardized test that tests nothing, but I make billions of dollars on this. Why would I succeed? Like, why would I say, okay, you're right. This is all freely available. Go ahead. Just go get it. And it's not worth testing anyway. Like nobody's going to say that. Come on now. I think that we are really struggling against politics for sure, because those people making those money are paying the lobbyists that are in there influencing the people making the decisions. And we really need to have shifts on a top level with politics if we're going to ever make change. So I agree with you. I think maybe we just make an alternate system and the government run system has to catch up. I'm seeing a lot more homeschooling happening since COVID. And the problem with public education, when they're looking at different districts, looking at making some bigger changes, either the state stops them because you have to have kids in school this many hours. You can't, you know, shorten the school day because kids are coming home exhausted. Or families are saying you can't do a four day school week to give more time for kids to be out of the classroom and really learning out in the world or with families or having rest or teachers planning because I need daycare. And so education has become either daycare or money making, and we're not focused on what education should be for. Bingo. <laughs> right. Bingo. And you and I aren't going to change it. We're not going to change it by protesting. We're not going to change it by voting in somebody else. We're not going to change. None of that will change it. And again, I always tell parents, man, I applaud the parents who show up to the meetings, who are speaking out against the things that they don't like. I get that. I fully get it. Also. That same amount of time and energy could be focused on the young hero. What if we focus that same time and energy on creating something for ourselves or for our communities that we really wanted to create? Man, no, I know it's not easy. No, I know it's not simple. I know it's not, you know, I get it all the time of like, well, it must be nice. You had a school that your kids could go to, or it must be nice that you can home educate <laughs> on the farm. It is. It is very nice. You bet. And also, I worked seven days a week for seven years straight building two businesses at the same time to make sure that my kids had access to doing this, not knowing if we were going to be able to survive. I've come from living out of my car before. I, you know, When we first took this step, we had our first kid and we I made $31,000 that year. My wife made zero and, and we lived in California, by the way, and like made a sacrifice. So like, yeah, what we do right now, it is nice because I was so freaking obsessed to make sure that what we could do was what we wanted to do for our family. So I have every bit of compassion and empathy for people who are like, man, you don't understand my situation. No, I do not. You are correct. What I do understand is the kids are worth it and you'll find a reason to do it or you'll find an yes. excuse not to. Yes. I think we've lost when you were talking about victim mentality in this country, we have so lost that drive to work hard and we are so blessed to have a country where we have the freedom to make those changes. Even people from Europe and France, I was talking with a gentleman from France and he said, in this country, if you want to do something different, you can completely change your career. In my country, that is really hard to do. And that mm -hmm. is a free country, right? Mm -hmm. So our country is very unique and we have a pioneer spirit. That's where our country was founded from. And we're losing that. Because people don't want to work hard. They don't want to do the hard things. And even in the post you had today about parenting, people don't want to do the hard things sometimes. And not everybody is that way. I agree with you. Absolutely not. Sure. But there is a group of people who are feeling that way. And that is, it's disheartening. <laughs> it is disheartening, you know, and it's, and then I think sometimes, again, this is all part of a big, you know, none of this is easy. None of this is black and white, but that mentality is something that's perpetuated a lot of times in our schooling systems now. And so again, it's like, we got to control behaviors because we won't want, we don't want these issues to happen. So as we control more and more behaviors, we just remind more and more people that you are actually sort of being oppressed there. You're not allowed to talk until you're, you know, it's, it's 
you have to raise your hand to ask if you can go to the bathroom. And then somebody's like, nah, no, you can't. And you're like, okay. And so, I mean, like you learn very early on that you don't have a voice. And so what happens? Well, same thing that happens in prisons. You got to find your voice on the yard, right? You got to find your click. You got to find the people where you can express your voice now. And so you're going to do that in the form of bullying and shaming somebody else. Cause you got to look down on somebody because everybody else is looking down on you. Like this is a, this is a big, hairy, tangled web, man. Wow. Tell us about your schools and the way that your schools are set up. Yeah. So we've got a whole lot more. Um, we've got a whole lot more freedom that's involved, right? We want people to know they've got a voice. So we take a look at things developmentally versus this faux concept of grades and grade level and all these things that don't really exist. We'll take a look at things developmentally. So, you know, we talk about from a societal standpoint, we'll talk about, well, you know, brain brains aren't fully developed until people are like 25. Cool. Yep. That's true. Also, there's big brain jumps that happen at other times of our life. Like there's big brain jumps that happen around eight. There's another one that happens, you know, again, this is a blanket statement, but it's generally true. That's around 12, around 16. Got these various jumps that take place. So we have our young heroes are working in bigger multi-age groups and for certain things like Socratic conversations, learning how to think, not what to think, learning what the rules of engagement are of a good conversation, how to actually have civil discourse. That's a huge part of what we do, right? And so there's character contracts that are the background of all of that. Here's what we're all agreeing on from, you know, integrity and compassion and politeness and honor and loyalty and like honesty and all of these things are, are the backbone everybody's got to agree to this and we're going to have ceremony around this so we're all buying into this part here because we're all going after this mission together so there's room for disagreement all the time but there's no room for being mean there's no room for treating other and you don't get to stay if you're gonna you know be that kind of person child or parent unfortunately right so we've got that is kind of the backbone. So they're operating with these Socratic conversations with people in their same general range of development. But then throughout the day, they're also interacting with everybody around joint collaborative projects as well. So we'll keep the projects relatively simple in nature in terms of a goal that allows for complexity to take place. So, hey, you guys are going to band together and all ages on this campus, you're going to create a, a lip dub music video that integrates every single one of you. And it shows off all the places around the campus. And you've got, you know, this is all you, here's your, here's the camera equipment. You guys can get together, collaborate, figure out roles. And you've got four weeks, ready, go. Um, you're going to put on a play and somebody's got to write the play. Somebody's got to direct it. We've got to have actors. We've got to sell tickets. Uh, we've got to do lighting. We've got to build set. We've got to build costumes ready go right like i mean there's and again wow. there's a little more scaffolding than that but we give a lot of those kinds of outcomes and go here you go for part of that day entrepreneurship is a big part so that's another chunk of the day where it's like hey everybody here is going to build a business or take their business into perpetuity we're not going to talk about businesses as much as we are going to build them to make real money like let's actually start there then we have something to root it to when we talk about business later. Because if I just talk about academic theory, or if I talk about business theory, or I talk about the theory of orange juice, or I talk about the theory, but I've never actually experienced any of it, I have nothing to root it to. So let's actually do the thing, and then we can come back and talk about it. So entrepreneurship is a big part. The physical education and physical fitness components are a big part. We can't talk about mental health without physical health right. for young people. So they have options on what physical fitness looks like, but it's actually working out. There's actually, you know, maybe some self-defense involved. There's things that are physical. It's not dodgeball. Um, it's like, let's learn how to actually move our bodies and be healthy. So that's a component. It's sustainable. It's sustainable. It's sustainable. Right? It's like, real. It's the game you play when you're out of school. It's the game you play when you're out of school, right? Like that's it. Absolutely. And then the academics are there, but they're individualized. Again, we have that's the easy part. Academics are the easiest thing to. The reality is, my, I'm friends with Sal Khan, right? Khan Academy mm -hmm. is there. I mean, really, Amazing. there's a million, there's a million programs to use, but that's literally free in every quote unquote subject and three times the amount of work that they're going to do on the same subject in your normal conveyor belt school. So, like, that's there. So, we can utilize it if we want for whatever we want, but individualize that. Let them tackle it and let that be a family conversation too. What are your goals around this? And how do we just help walk alongside you and coach you through what you're doing on that, right? So you got these various 
buckets that throughout the day, it's kind of like what college could be, should be various buckets like this, focusing on some of the big meta skills. And then as they get older, they're doing a couple of things. They're taking on more responsibilities on campus. So like giving tours, you know, to, to prospective families, um, helping younger heroes, running various workshops themselves. Uh, when we host events, we hosted a TEDx event at one of my campuses and the high school kids ran the whole event. You know, we had world-class oh, speakers, cool. world-class event. They ran the whole thing, right? So like getting experience, doing actual things, I don't, that's kind of a crazy concept, right? That is nuts. Uh, and then and internships and apprenticeships, like getting offsite and taking on opportunities to learn in fields that you think you're interested in, which by the way, you may come back and be like, that actually sucks. And that's fine too. <laughs> like that's great. Cause at least now, you know, right. Because you know how many people I have that I young people that reach out. One of the, the things that I get the most is young, young ladies who will reach out and they're like, Oh man, I always wanted to be a nurse because uh, I heard it was always in demand and you'd make good money. So I went to school, went into debt, became a nurse. I hate it. I hate it, but I'm stuck now because I made, you know, I'm stuck. That's the only reason I chose it. I didn't know what I was choosing. I just knew in demand, make good money. I'm actually in debt and I hate my job. Man, that sucks. I don't want that for anybody. So it's, it's broken down into chunks like that. That's, that's a, I don't, people are like, give me an elevator pitch for your schools. I'm like, I can't. No, that sounds like a great program. And my, my daughter actually experienced something similar. She did an internship. She was really into baking and cooking. And so she did an internship for three weeks in a restaurant to her junior year. And then was like, nope, not for me, not doing it. How valuable. Yeah. So valuable. Right. So why do we, why do we push kids right out after school when they graduate to go straight to college? Like, why don't we push them? Why doesn't I don't know. It seems like businesses should collaborate and take on interns for like extended periods of time, like attorneys and doctors and nurses, all those things so that kids can learn and get some and then say, okay, if you choose, you want to do this, we'll help cover education for you so that you can get that degree and you agree to come back and work here. Or or why do you have to go get the degree in the first place? If you're getting the education there on the job, why don't you just get the education there on the job? At what point when I'm going to be a lawyer, do I have to go take, you know, Mideastern, you know, socioeconomic status of Mideastern, you make up all this crap that we got to go take, do the job, be an apprentice, do the job. Let's not pretend we're learning how to get better at it by going to four years of school that has nothing to do with that job. That, I mean, I was getting hired, like at what point of, of, college is do do we think any more people are coming out to learn how to actually do a specific job that's better than going and just doing the job four years of studying jujitsu versus four years of getting on the mats and doing jujitsu please understand that the person who actually does it for four years is better (laughs) this isn't rocket science man but culturally our religious mind of being attached to school says no but you have to go to college because why hmm. it's almost never- i don't know i might argue that a little bit with you do it do it because as an occupational therapist okay we have extended training and then there are occupational therapy techs and i would say i would say about 80 percent of what otas do the assistants do huh? they learned in a two-year program which was sufficient and then they're learning on the job with an ot that is fully licensed, has all the degrees, right? So my thing is the part that they didn't get, the foundational stuff that I had to do, like the first biology class I took in my undergrad was my hardest science class because I had to learn to think that way. Now I say that this is because I came out of a traditional public education system here in the United States. I should have already learned that. Okay, but in this current system, I had to learn how to think in this scientific way, because what I do requires a lot of that base background, that background, that training and training my mind to think that way and to process that way. And I definitely feel like the people who have not had that can't do some of the things I do, some of the evaluative things I do, some of the figuring out how to approach the problem to make it better. Mm -hmm. So I would say there's a level of training 
that mm-hmm. does need to happen for really specific things like medical things, science things. But I do agree that there's a ton of fluff so, in there that uh-huh. could get pushed so, away. Two things. One, there's a lot of fluff that you pay a lot of extra money for and waste a lot of extra time on. So we can get rid of the fluff. Two, all of that higher level thinking. There's no way, if this is what you're saying, there's no way that somebody can get to that higher level of thinking without specifically going to college for it. That's where we'll disagree. Uh, because I don't. No, so, I'm not saying that. I guess I'm just saying I'm going to go get somebody. What I what I'm saying is I did have value in that underlying great. stuff. Totally. But I think if I'm going to go to somebody for an expert opinion, I want to know that they've done the time. So whether they were trained in a school or uh-huh. trained through a professional, there should be some level of, of certification. Of course, there should be a level. Know that they're yeah. But certificationism is a thing, right? So there should be some time. I've hired PhDs that can't teach their way out of a paper bag. Well, that is true. Got all the time, (laughs) but they've spent all the time and they have all the right certifications. No, they suck as a human, right? So, and I have other people who have educator tendencies and have learned how to be phenomenal communicators and educators, but they never had an official certification around it. So we have this weird thing about certification. And part of that is I will see how can I take it? I want to, this is not meant to be offensive to anybody. I'm taking a shot in the dark, a stab. So I want people that are listening to this, to hear this. I'm going to take a stab in the dark on something to try to illustrate a point. Are either one of you Jewish? Okay. So if I took a rabbi and said, but you need to listen to everything he says, because he has 30 years of experience being a rabbi. So he's obviously right. Like that would be ridiculous if you're like, well, I actually don't agree with the overarching premise of the whole thing anyway. So it doesn't matter how many years he has in this, right? So we've done the same thing with certification where we've gone, well, they have so many years teaching this that it must be correct. When the reality is, what if you don't agree with where that certification process, like the foundational things in the first place, like that's silly. And if you can get that foundation somewhere else without having to pay a ton for it, I would just argue that a lot of times we can still do that too, right? So what I'm saying is I I think college is, can it be valuable? You bet. But it needs to be under a lot more of a microscope than that, because I would argue almost every single thing that you think you can get for it value-wise, we can obtain it faster and cheaper some other way. That's my that's my argument. And again, how are we going to change that system? Because if you're in college learning some specific things, if I'm learning microbiology and epidemiology because, and how it relates to how children or adults get brain damage and I need to treat that. Yeah. So I'm taking a class on that. I should also be having some sort of internship at that point. For sure. Seeing 100%. how to take that information and put it into place. 100%. And we don't do that enough until people in certain professions like medical get their residencies or field works, whatever. And so, yes, we need to have a different system for it to actually be meaningful. I agree. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's, that's (laughs) what, I mean, and so that's where it is, right. Is like, that's, that's the whole concept. And I would argue again, that if we had things that were built out as more of like a, a graduated apprenticeship type program on the job with people, like if we would do that in most industries, we would be far ahead of the game other than pretending that all this other fluff has anything to do with it and pretending that going into debt at 200 grand has anything to do with learning. And we also usually focus these types of arguments in the very specified fields, right? The pushback I get from parents all the time is like, well, what if my kid wants to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer? And -hmm. the first thing I say is, do they? Because 98% of the time they don't want to be that. So we're arguing this massive point for this tiny percent of the population. And it's like, hmm. yes. so there's a logical fallacy that's taking place there as well. Right. So like, what do you actually, what do you, it's, it's a religious fear-based adherence we have that goes outside what reality looks like right now, a lot of times. So that's all I do is push back and go, Hey man, think through it. And by the way, at the end of the day, do whatever the hell you want to do. Like I'm supporting, I support you. I want you to be, I want you to be happy. I want you to feel accomplished. I want you to feel like there's opportunity. I want you to get back to what we talked about at the beginning, freedom and sovereignty. And for whatever that means for you, I want you to be, I want you to be happy. 
I want you to have a great family life. I want you to have a great, I want you to feel fulfilled. I want all of those things for every single person because we all win when that's the thing, you know, like that's all I want. Yes. I want you to... So yeah, it's always it's interesting conversations. <laughs> Good. So Holly and I both work in what we would call special education, right? She's an occupational therapist. I'm a speech therapist. So we work with students with sometimes really severe disabilities, sometimes mild, moderate. So how do your, how does your philosophy and your schools kind of address a student like that? And where, where do you sort of. Yeah. It's a a great question and it's really, really difficult. So on the disabilities side, that in of itself is such a broad spectrum. Yes. As you know, I'm uh-huh. preaching to the choir on that, right? <laughs> things that we have culturally, societally said, this is a disability. I'm like, eh, is it? Like, I don't, you know, sure. is that a disability? Really? I don't know. Um, yeah. So there are some where, you know, where personally, I just don't think these things are disabilities that we're calling disabilities. And then there's actual disabilities, yes. right? We are not specialists in specific disabilities. And I'll tell you that right up front. And we will tell our parents that right up front. If like there is a severe disability here, man, let us help you figure out where to go and who to partner with. And and I'm interested in finding these conversations of like, man, why is there such a rise in disabilities, both what is prescribed as well as what's really happening? What's the root cause of this? Why are we seeing more and more than ever before? Um, I think that's another whole nother rabbit hole, a whole other question. Like, why are we seeing so many? Right. I think that's one conversation. And then why are we seeing so many prescribed that I don't know if they really are? So when we have parents come in, we go, okay, if there is a severe disability that's here, we're probably not going to be the place that's equipped to help you with that. It's like, there's got to be an element of self-direction here. We've got to be like, we just have to, we're not going to be able to be the ones to address it. But if it's something that the disability you know, that you're finding is like, hey, my five-year-old doesn't want to sit down and be quiet in a boring ass kindergarten class. And he's being told because it's, you know, it's because he has a methamphetamine deficiency. I'm going to go ahead and jump on board and go, that might not be a, that might not be a thing. So, hey, let's take a look at a different environment and that may actually help a little bit. Right. So it's never a black and white answer as far as that goes. Um, We have to have further conversations. What do you think about, like, as you're building your schools and having more and more of them, will you consider creating an inclusive environment where kids who have significant physical disabilities or cognitive disabilities can participate in your school? Will you be looking to hire people who could specifically work with those kids and include them? Because you're right, it's on the rise. We're seeing and Again, that is a whole nother rabbit hole environment and, you know, all the things we put into our food and everything, Right. but it is on the rise and those people will be part of our community. Sure. And we have the ability with medicine and information to keep people going Uh where maybe used to be, we couldn't. And so we didn't see that large of a population because if a child at birth had these significant disabilities, they may have passed from that. Now we can help them stay alive. Another whole rabbit hole, but we end up with a larger and larger population of people who have significant disabilities. And as a community, we need to know how to integrate them because they're humans and they deserve the chance to be participating in the society. But how do we do that? And how do we do that in schools? That's a whole Wow, that's hard. And so that is hard because what you're talking about, you even use the word like the buzzwords of like inclusive, right? Which inherently means like, if you don't do this, you're exclusive. Well, guess what? We're exclusive. I'm going to exclude people that aren't nice people, period. And I think anything that is not going to go down the rabbit hole of giving too much complexity is going to have to be exclusive. Like that's just going to be the reality of it. I've got our our Apogee Strong programs. We've got our schools. We also have mentorship programs, right? We have mentorship programs for men. We have mentorship programs for women, young men, young women. The schools are all families, co-ed, young men, young women, pouring into the parents too. Like the schools are here, but guess what? Our men's program is exclusive to men and period, right? It's not in the name of inclusivity. We'll put women in the, but like, we're going down this weird rabbit hole in society where everything has to be inclusive of everything else. And I think that's actually dangerous. Girl Scouts now has to have boys. Boy Scouts now has to have girls. Why? 
Boy Scouts are Boy Scouts. Girl Scouts are Girl Scouts. Like that's okay. Right. So would we ever look at like for sure? I have not, there's nothing against anybody that's got a disability at all. Our current model is for a very specific shift in education, which comes with its own crazy challenges of challenging this big religion to try to go, ooh, and we got to make sure we include this. We also have to make sure we're 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 going down the um, we got to make sure we have the X percentage of this religion. We got to have make sure we have X percentage of people from this country. We got to have X percent. As soon as you start playing that game, we look just like school and everything goes to hell because we've over like made overly complex again the mission of what we're about so the answer is of course we want people to be able to be integrated and woven in is that on the immediate and do you have an immediate answer for no we're not at that point yet and i think it would be dumb to try to start from that point based on experience hopefully that makes sense yeah do you feel like if you had a family who came to you and had typical kids and one child that had disabilities let's say they had down syndrome would you be able to accommodate them and yeah, have I mean, other kids in the school yeah i mean that that we've had that before i mean that's again awesome. very that's very easy that's very simple that's very simple then, so that's what i'm saying about- like it's such a spectrum right so like what i'm, right. I'm saying like are we going to be able to do education well and then also go hey We've got to also hire this person outside here to do a very specific type of therapy for one person that has this one severe disability. Like as a from a privatized business standpoint in an industry what's already ridiculously hard to stay profitable, that does that just there's no way to do that and continue to grow really right now. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. So again, we're talking disabilities. The spectrum is enormous on that. It is. It is. That's where it's hard. And you talk about separating out for mentorship. Can you give us just a little bit of information about why that that there's a benefit to that separating out? Yeah, because men and women are different. So, right, that's just the, the way it goes. And I know that's a controversial statement to make for some reason in 2023, but I don't know what it's like to be a woman. Right. So I can't tell you what it's like to be a woman. I can't tell you exactly how your mind. I can't tell you that you can have great conversations as women about women things and the way your mind. Are there some similarities between men and women? Obviously. Are there some differences? (laughs) Obviously. Right. So there is benefit just like, again, I'll go back and use the sports analogy. Right. You don't just have one coach for every sport because the sports aren't exactly the same. This one has the ball and this one has the ball. Same thing. No, it's not. There's different rules of the game. It's a different kind of ball. There's a different, like the strategy is different. Everything is different. So men, women, different. I can speak to young men. I'm going to have my young men's mentorship call here in 14 minutes, right? I got a bunch of young men from around the world. And I can speak specifically to when they're like, hey, man, I'm 14 right now hormonally here is what's going on with me i've got like i am a nightmare here i'm feeling super aggressive (laughs) here i'm a you know and again i'm not i don't want to be crude i'm a walking erection here right like i'm (laughs) it's a real things young men go through right i was a 14 year old young man i know so i could be like hey man i get it here's what's going on right now Here's the best thing that I can help walk you through. Here's the best advice. You and I can talk about it because we've both been through. We can make it not weird, right? I Nobody wants me, this gray bearded, you know, 40 something year old guy talking to their daughter about what she's going. <laughs> nobody wants That's that. That's not creepy. It's not That's creepy, not creepy at, all. at all, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if I've got good women and we all, what we do is we come together and we agree upon that character code, right? The honor, the integrity, the loyalty, the the honesty, the politeness, the we can the compassion, right? We all come together around that. Cool. Then we can split off into the subsets as well, just to make things better, to operate at a higher level. Mm-hmm. It's the coach for that specific game. Well, and I honestly love that whether it's your sex, male, female, whether or everybody, whether it's your country you're from, whether it's the language you speak, whether it's the religious values and cultural values you have, I think the differences are what make us beautiful and interesting. 
we are all humans. And so I think right there, we equity is a buzzword, but it's true. Like we need to treat each other equally as far as your value as a human and giving those compassion and understanding and your right to have a different opinion than mine without me th- telling you you're awful. You know, all those things should be given to everyone freely unless they have done something to lose that unless they earn (laughs) the right to lose it yeah if they're horrible to you you don't have to just keep being nice you can walk away but we need to let people be different and then that shouldn't be a bad thing that's it civil discourse right that's it and so and this is again becomes this weird crazy slippery slope unfortunately but civil discourse is the thing like we should be able to at the end of the day my wife is the closest human being to me on this planet at the end of the day, we'll be able to find something we don't agree on. So what, we just pack it up and call it in and go, well, you're my enemy now? That's sure. dumb. It's ridiculous. <laughs> just call it, like, now you're in my enemy. Well, that's, that's crazy, man. And if we if that's the way we're going to look at the world, then it's going to be a very lonely place, man. So we need to learn how to have civil discourse, have good conversations. Go, man, I, I'd love to hear what you believe and why you believe it and what that looks like. And I'll tell you what, if you've got better evidence than I do on this, shoot, I need to be brave enough to change my mind. But I I think a lot of people are afraid to hear other ideas because their own rationale maybe isn't sound or maybe they're afraid that they might want to change their mind and what would that do to their world? And you know what? That's it. They don't want to pull that string, right? And so there's that old saying of dogs bark at what they don't understand, right? And I think that's humans too. Mm -hmm. We bark at what we don't understand. But then there's this, you've got to define what is worth having a conversation on and what is not to, right? The conversation, and I'll just, this is a trendy thing. I don't even know. I'm not even willing to look down the rabbit hole and see how far this really goes or really doesn't. I don't know. And I don't care because there are certain lines that I still will draw in that. If somebody wants to say, and again, I don't know if this is real or not. It's just trendy and people have heard this. You know, my child wants to identify as a cat and go around on all fours and they want a litter box. I mean, okay, cool. But also I'm not going to entertain a conversation around, maybe you are a cat. Tell me why you think you're a cat. I don't have to go into something that is clearly imaginary. That's not being inclusive when we're doing that. I don't look at that as the same thing. So, you know, there are lines that are okay to draw but you've got to really actually work through what are those lines where it's okay to draw to. And let's have a conversation around that. And at the end of the day, some people are like, no, you need to talk to every child that thinks they're a cat and you need to be okay with it. Cool, man. Sounds good. What we know is you and I aren't going to agree on that fundamentally. So we can either move together on things we agree about, or or we can just choose not like, that's fine. It's all good. You're not going to connect with every human on this planet. It's okay. And I think that is something that has been lost in the adult population and our children are watching adults and they're yeah. mirroring that. And yeah. if we can, as adults, get better about having differences of opinion and saying, you know what, uh, I don't fully agree with that, but I still think you're a great person. Most of your ideas are great. And I love all the, you know, like we need to find a way, or even if you don't agree at all, politically mm-hmm. or whatever, philosophically, totally. you need to be able to say, okay, you Some, do you and I'm going <laughs> to step right. away. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And if we can do that, it usually is an indicator to me of when we're talking about freedom and sovereignty earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Part of freedom and sovereignty starts, I mean, really, there are the practical elements. I like the fact that we live on a farm and if the world goes haywire again and all the stores are shut down and nobody has access to food, I can grow food for my family. Like to me, that's a level of sovereignty, a level of freedom. I really like that, right? At the end of the day, freedom and sovereignty starts and ends right here, really. I mean, it ultimately does right between the ears. That's where it has to be. There's gotta be a peace there. There is nobody that is gonna be able to shake that peace for me. Like that's what I want. And that's what I want for my wife. It's what I want for my kids. It's what I want for the families I serve. Like I want that level of peace because when you have that level of peace, you can come to the conclusion of like, cool, we're going to disagree. And I don't lose my self-worth in that. Right? Like we're like, that's okay. It's all good. When you get to that level of peace, then it's attractive for our young people to be an adult. And I think we've taken that away. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I know you've got to go. So really quick, will you tell me what you believe is the why for education? Freedom and sovereignty. Freedom and sovereignty, period, end of story. So in my, my view, education 
is synonymous with growth in two ways. And I believe the root word like educare actually means to like draw out, right? So, mm. so education should be to draw out the best version of you. Really, that's what it should be. It's like, what is the best yes. version? And by the way, I don't think anybody ever reaches it. I don't think you reach it. I think you can always get better. There are certain things from a physical standpoint, right? I'm going to hit a physical peak at some point, And then that's going to start clearly. It's going to start going downhill, <laughs> right? Like that's going to happen. So sure, great. But I can I always get you know more knowledgeable? Can I always be kinder? Can I all can I always get to be more emotionally available? Can I always get you know um, to be more uh, spiritually astute? Can I always get to be more relationally you know awesome? Like all of those things are always there. So I've got to continuously work towards that until I'm six feet under, man. So for me, education is synonymous with just growing and being a human being. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if we're not doing that, we've ceased to be educated, period. And I think a lot of people cease to be educated very, very early because they believe they've checked boxes in a certain area and they're all done. And I just don't think it ever ends, man. So to me, it's just this continual growth. It's the infinite game that you play in a very finite time. So you might as well just keep going. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for making time to talk to us today. Really appreciate your perspective and all the great information you brought forward to us. Thank you. Super fun. No, the honor is definitely mine. And thank you for uh, for having great conversations. I appreciate you. That was a really cool interview and different than some of the things we've done before. Yeah, he had a lot of different ideas than maybe we do working in traditional public education. Mm -hmm. But just like he said, all ideas you know, you can agree, disagree, and then find those common grounds. And then, yes. Talk. And I think I would say the bulk of what he's talking about, I full on agree with. And clearly, because we, I did disagree with him with a few things, but I think that is what has been lost is the ability for us to, as adults say, I think this, you think that, and it's okay if we do it differently. And he's offering this whole different way of educating kids, which I think is beautiful and we should give those options. We don't have to educate all kids the same. Yeah, and the whole point of this podcast is to just get different ideas that are out there. Some of them we like, some of them we'll adopt, some of them work, some of them we don't think work. It's just well, and you can't options. you can't fix something if you don't look at the problem and come up with a variety of ideas of how to fix it. And what fixes something in one spot or for one set of students doesn't fix it for another set either. Yes. And we're not cookie cutters and we're trying to, we're not cookies. And so we shouldn't be using cookie cutters to make everybody the same. We should let us all be different on some level. And how do we do that with fairness? How do we do that with the ability to support everyone and having the option to get education, to be pulled out and learn how to have the skills they need to be strong adults and strong leaders in a society. How do we mend our society? These are huge questions we clearly couldn't answer on our little podcast, but they're questions that will hopefully get people talking because as we have those conversations with one another in the community with respect, we can start finding solutions. Yeah. That was a great interview. I learned a lot. I had fun. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining us and for everybody listening. I don't even know in what order we're doing stuff right now. So I can't tell you what's coming next week, but what Whatever it is, it'll be awesome. We'll <laughs> see. Because that's what we're saying. That is going to be awesome. Everybody out there, please know together we can do better. Even if we disagree, together, together we, we can, can do, do better. better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.